Hello, friends. Welcome to Read Them and Weep. It's me, your host, Sammy, and we have what I think is a fun episode for you today. So I just got back. I'm recording this at like midnight. Uh, I just got back from Stone's Gambling Hall up in Sacramento, California, and it's actually the first time that I've played in Stone's in a couple of years um, since pre-pandemic, since the Mike Postle stuff. I'm sure if you know poker at all, you're, you're aware of the Mike Postle cheating scandal, and I had played with Postle several times on the Stone's live stream, and I was actually part of the lawsuit against Postle and Stone's, and I'm not allowed to say a lot about it. All I can really say is that I kind of have a pragmatic view of this. Like, I don't hold any ill will towards stones. You know, my view of it is just like in places where there's money to be made. And we see this in, in business and in politics and in crypto and all sorts of places where there's money to be made. You're going to have people trying to cheat to get that money. You know, there's going to be some bad actors. And I certainly don't condone that. But the reality is like, that's kind of human nature. And so I just kind of feel like it is what it is. Uh, it actually really sucks because it forced stones to cut off their live stream to take it down. And that sucked because I really enjoyed being on it. Stones is about an hour and a half from where I live. And so uh, I used to make the trip up there. You know, I really enjoyed being on that live stream. Um, it's as far as I know, the only live stream in Northern California. And it was really cool to be on for a couple of reasons. Number one, obviously, like your friends and family could tune in and, and watch you play. And that was cool. But the other part was just being on a live stream, I thought was really instructive for yourself. You know, you, you get like five hours of game film on yourself and you can go back and watch it and see, okay, like, how is my body language? How is I acting like, did I look certain ways in certain situations? Was I giving off tells, et cetera? And more importantly, you know, you kind of get a feel for the opponents in game. And then when you go back and watch a stream, you can be like, hey, was that accurate? Was my opinions of the way that this person played accurate? Were, you know, my reads on their ranges and et cetera, was, was I on point with that stuff? Because obviously when you watch it, you get to see their hands. So I really enjoyed doing it. I'm bummed that it was gone, that they had to take it down. And, you know, it kind of just is what it is. But I really like stones. In fact, you know, I haven't been to every card room in the Bay Area, but I've been to most of them in Northern California. And to me, stones has been my favorite. I just really like the place, man. They they have this kind of old Western saloony feel there. There's like fireplaces and the poker room and stuff like that. But it's also very modern. Like it's encased, encased in glass and just re looks really slick. Everything about it, I just think is really well done. You know, the, the chairs are comfortable and the tables are nice. And I like the chips and the waitresses are, they're all nice girls. The, the food is excellent. The food is super good at Stones. The drinks are really good. I mean, I, I just really like the place. And the games are really good. A, there's a lot of action, but B, it's a match stack game. So we see that a lot in Texas um, where you can buy in really deep. You're, you're able to buy in for the largest stack at the table. Or if you're already at the table, you can add on to match the biggest stack. And this honestly is pretty loosely enforced. When I went tonight, there was a guy sitting with 4K and I actually know the guy. I played with him on stream a couple times and really nice guy, but honestly, he probably didn't win that 4K. You know what I mean? The way that I've seen it, and I'm certainly not a stones reg, but the way that I've seen it done is 
you know, people just kind of buy in for what they want and the dealers just let it go unless anybody says anything. And most people usually don't. So the games play really deep. Like the one, three plays like a two, five, the two, five plays like a five, 10, or even a 10 and a quarter, depending on the night. You know, I played one, three tonight and over at the two, five, there were guys sitting like five figures deep. I mean, they're, they're good games up there. So I finally got to play up there. I ate some good food, had some good times, and both hands that we go over in this podcast are going to be from tonight's session. So enough pussyfooting around. Let's get into it. Hand one, we're going to go over a hand that I played well. All right. So we are playing one three. We bought in for a thousand and we are sitting about 12 or 1300 deep right now. It folds around to us in the cutoff and we look down at Jack nine of hearts. We raise it up to 15, and then there is a pro sitting to my left. We hate that. Uh, He's on the button, and he flats, and then the big blind calls as well. So we go three ways to a flop, and it comes 10-10-deuce rainbow with one heart. So we flop three to the flush, three to the straight. The big blind checks, and now it's up to me. And I think this can go either way. I think a lot of people bet here. And I think that's totally fine because you have three of the flush, three of the straight, and this is a flop that misses a lot of your opponent's ranges. But I actually prefer playing this kind of situation a different way, especially multi-way. And the reason is, is because if you bet and get called, you have very little clarity because the ranges that can call you are so wide. You know what I mean? Sometimes you'll get called by ace high. Sometimes you'll get called by a pair of deuces. Sometimes you'll get called by an under pair. Sometimes you'll get called by a 10. Sometimes you'll get called with, you know, three to the flush, three to the straight like you have, because there's a a couple of different ways that can happen. And then you gain very little clarity. If you pick up equity on the turn, it's like, okay, should I bet? It's kind of iffy, right? Because you can bet and you can get rid of a lot of those kind of iffy hands. But if the person has a 10, then you get check raised and then, you know, you kind of have to call because now you've picked up equity, but you're just in kind of a crap spot. And then on the river, you know, say a card comes that helps your hand. It can also make the other guy full house. You don't have a full house and they can easily have one. And it's just hard to get big stacks in, et cetera, et cetera. So I actually like playing this hand a different way. Uh, I decide to check it too. And if it checks through, that's great. We can try to take it away on the turn of the river But the pro on the button now bets 25. So again, we have jack nine of hearts. We raise preflop and it comes 10, 10 deuce with one heart. 10, 10 deuce rainbow. So big blind checks, we check. And now the button bets 25 and a 45. And the big blind check calls it. And I think this is a real cool spot for a check raise. So a lot of times when people raise preflop, they either bet out or they check fold um, or they check call. It's very rare for people to have a check raising range. And I actually think this is a really cool hand to put into a check raising range. So button 25, big blind check calls. I check raise to 80. The button now is caught in a bind. Uh, Obviously, he could have just been trying to steal the pot when both players check to him. But he can also have a lot of small pairs. Uh, pairs below the 10, and those are all incentivized to flat preflop hands like fives and sixes. And if this were a heads up pot, certainly he would have to defend those hands to a check raise. 
But when it's a three-way pot, he actually can't really continue because there's another player behind him who can easily have a 10. And when the player behind him can have a 10 and I'm representing a 10, there's just no way he can continue. So it's actually a cool spot to get him as kind of the monkey in the middle. And he ends up folding his hand. That's great. Now the big blind check calls again. And it actually, he's pretty short stacked. I was pretty deep with the button, but the big blind only has 250 behind after calling. And now I think, holy shit, like this guy's definitely got a 10, right? There's just not a lot of other hands that he would play this way. Like the slow play is on. And the the pot is about 230 and he's only got about 250 behind. And I just think, okay, we gave it a shot. We gave it a good run, uh, but we are giving up here because you know, just, just continuing to fire here and getting it all in. Generally, he's going to have a hand that he wants to get it all in with. So the turn comes the king of hearts. And this is actually a great card for us. Again, we have jack nine of hearts. It came 10, 10 deuce with one heart. The king gives us a gutter ball to a straight flush and obviously a straight and a flush draw. So the big blind checks and I decide to actually check back. In most situations, when you check raise bluff and then you pick up equity, you want to keep barreling. But just in this specific dynamic with the stack sizes as such as they are, uh, the guy's only got a pot size bet left. He's called twice on the flop. I mean, I just think this guy's got a 10 all day uh, for the most part. And jamming here would kind of be suicide. So I actually decide to just check back and take my equity and hot damn if the three of hearts doesn't come on the river. We're happier than a dog with two dicks. This is great. We have check raise bluff the flop <laughs> and backed into a flush. I mean, you know, some guys just have all the luck, right? Now the big blind checks a third time. Remember, it's 10-10 deuce with one heart, king of hearts, three of hearts. So we backdoor a flush with our jack nine of hearts. He's got 250 behind. There's 230 in the pot. And I've backdoored the flush. Now the only question is sizing. We're obviously going to bet here. I'm actually surprised that he didn't bet because I figured him for a 10. So when he checks the turn and I check back and then he checks the river, it's like, does this guy actually have a 10? Was I was I tripping? Like maybe the guy has something like pocket eights and just didn't want to give it up. And so the question is sizing. And I actually try to think about what hands he could call me with. And I just decide to go all in. Again, it's about a pot size bet, but I figure if he does have a hand like sevens or eights or, or nines or something like that, he's probably going to fold to a lot of sizings. Uh, but if he does have a 10, one that he's just not confident in, that he w- he didn't want to bet, he's going to have to call it off though. I mean, Jesus Christ, right? So I decide to shove all in. And he thinks about it and he thinks about it and he goes, man, I just know you got King 10. Remember, it came 10, 10, deuce, King 3. He's like, man, you just got to have King 10. And honestly, that's that's a pretty good guess um, because I check raise the flop and then, and then check the turn. I could easily be doing that with a full house. And because we're not that deep, uh, certainly I might have played King 10 that way. And he just hems and haws. He flips over the 10 of diamonds. So he does have trip 10s. And then he folds it. Ah, yeah. Unbelievable. I can't believe this fucking guy folded. I mean, Jesus, we should have gotten that extra 250. We're so bummed. 
I seriously can't believe he folded. Like, what a nitball. But uh, but he was right. He was right to do it, I guess. So why did I share this hand? Uh, I, I just think that I played it well. I like the way that I played this hand. I like using the hand as a check raise on the flop. I like having the wherewithal to check back on the turn and take my equity instead of blasting all in. And then I think my sizing for the hand that I was trying to get called by um, was good on the river. Uh, I guess he folded, so I can't say it was perfect, maybe. Maybe I should have gone like 150, but it's pretty easy in retrospect. You know what I mean? Pretty easy in retrospect. At the end of the day, he should have been calling with his 10, and he he just folded. So, you know, screw that guy. But I like the way that I played this hand. And uh, in hand two, we are going to go over hand that I don't like the way I played. All right, hand two, same session at Stones. We're playing one three. One of the fun things at Stones is that you can straddle and you can straddle up to half your stack, I believe. So it's actually somewhat common for people to be straddling to 20 or 30. Uh, There's a pretty wild guy in our game who is doing that. And so it's like one three 30. <laughs> it just like totally changes the game. It makes it kind of fun. Uh, in this hand, there's a $10 straddle. So it's one, three, and then 10. No, 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 no. Sorry. It was 15. It's one, three, 15. And the guy next to me on my right now is a really aggressive player. He sat down after I was there for a couple hours and he has been three betting and playing his position and opening a lot and just being really aggressive and not like bad aggressive either. He just, he seems like a pretty good player who is ultra aggressive, and that really made sense in this game because there was a number of really passive players there. So he was kind of running over the table. I think he bought in for like 500, and his stack was up to 750. And so it's 1-3 with a $15 straddle. Uh, One of the uh, nitty old guys limps for 15. And now my friend on my right is on the button, and he raises to 65 from his stack of of, of 750. I'm in the small blind and I look down at ace deuce of hearts. And I think there's a couple ways to play this hand. Calling is just stone terrible. Calling's a really bad idea because, you know, you just miss so often. Like you have ace deuce. It comes three middle cards so much. And even when you hit an ace, you really don't feel great about it. So with this kind of hand from the small blind, especially you don't want to just flat out of position, what you really want to do is either three better fold. And against this guy who's playing really aggressively, who's raising really widely, I wanted to take a stand here and I wanted to use this hand as a three bet. Now the stack sizes are very challenging because he only has 750 in his stack and he raised to 65. And so the sizing is really difficult here because when you're three betting, you really don't want to three bet more than a 30 or stack because if he four bets all in because of pot odds, you're almost compelled to call. So almost always you want to keep your sizing less than a third of stack so that you can get away. If you get four bet shoved on the challenge is any smaller than that. And I'm giving him really good odds to continue in the pot. So it's kind of an awkward spot. 
But I just think, man, this guy, like he's just opening super wide and I'm in the small blind with a, with a suited ace. These hands make for really good three bet bluffs because they can flop equity, but they also block your opponent from having the strongest hands. They, because you have an ace, their odds of having pocket aces or ace king or ace queen are vastly reduced. So I three bet and I choose a sizing that's less than a third of stacks and it's about three X his open. I go to 200. And again, this is pretty small for an out of position three bet, but with stack sizes as they are, you know, it's kind of the best I could do under the circumstances. So I raise to 200 from the small blind with ace deuce of hearts and it folds all the way back to this guy. And he thinks about it for a minute and he calls, leaving himself about 550 in his stack. Well, shit, that, that's not what we wanted, friends. Uh, we wanted him to fold, and he did not fold. So now we're praying to the poker gods for a good flop, and God damn it, if we don't get it, 10 of hearts, 7 of hearts, 3 of hearts, we flop the stone cold nutties. Hot damn, life is good. We are again happier than a dog with two dicks, and now the only question is, how do we get this money in? There's about 400, a little more than 400 in the pot. He's got about 550 behind. And so I'm trying to think of the best way to get the money in. And really, this is a two street game, right? We only need to bet twice to get it all in. We can bet something small like 150. And if he calls there, uh, that puts 700 in the pot and leaves him 400 behind. So we can do like a little more than a half pot all in. Now the question is, should I bet the flop or check the flop? And I end up deciding to check the flop for a couple reasons. Number one, this guy's really aggressive. So I want to give him the chance to take a shot at it when I three bet pre and then check. You know, I'm feigning like I have something like a black ace king or black ace queen, something that just like completely whiffed. And we want to give him a chance to be aggressive and take this pot. The other thing is that it's it's kind of hard for him to have a single heart in his hand. It's not that he can't, but because I have the ace of hearts, it really reduces the combinations of hands that he'll have with one heart in them. You know, it's like he can have, because I think if he has ace king, he just four bet shoves preflop. Um, so he could have like ace queen or ace jack with the queen or jack of hearts. He could have king queen with the king or queen of hearts, but that's kind of it. Um, again, the 10 of hearts is on board. So he just doesn't have that many single heart hands. And those are the kind of hands that I'm kind of want him to continue with. But also those are the kinds of hands that if he does have it, I just think he'll bluff the flop with. So I decide to check and he thinks about it and checks back. God damn it all. We, uh, we really wanted to bet him to bet there. He didn't do it. The turn comes the four of spades. So we still have the nuts. It's 10, seven, three of hearts, four of spades. We have ace, deuce of hearts. And now there's only two streets left. So it's certainly time to start betting. Uh, I continue with my plan and I do bet 150 into a little more than 400, an easily callable bet if he's got any showdown value at all. He thinks about it and he calls the 150. Sweet. The river comes a black deuce. This is great. The board didn't pair. Uh, we still have the nuts. Life is good. And now the question is, do we jam all in or do we check and hope that he jams all in? And I think the answer pretty clearly here is that we should be jamming. 
He rarely has a hand. He's he's probably got a hand that really wants to get to showdown, not necessarily a hand that he's going to bluff with. If he had one, he'd probably have bluffed the flop. So I do decide to jam for about 400. And this guy goes deep into the tank. Tank, tank, tanks. I mean, whenever somebody's in the tank, it always feels longer than it actually is. But I think this was legitimately like a minute and a half or two minutes. And he's just like, you know, he's muttering. And he's like, man, I just know you got aces with the ace of spa- with the ace of hearts. Or, you know, you have like ace king of hearts or ace queen of hearts. Like you flop the nuts. And, you know, he's just shuffling his cards, shuffling his cards. Finally, he says, screw it. And he sticks the money in. I show him the, mu- the nut flush and we win the pot. Hallelujah. Okay, why am I telling you this hand? And why did I play it bad? I just stacked a guy. Well, a couple of reasons. Um, number one, I mean, look, just because we won the hand doesn't mean we played the pot well. And I think it's really easy to for people just to be like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I flopped a big hand. I stacked somebody and they just go on with their day and they don't really critically think about how they won hands because they're being results oriented. One and all in. Great. Well, let me tell you, anybody can flop the nuts and, and take a stack. Like, obviously, any idiot can do it in this hand. This idiot did it. But I think I messed this hand up and made some poor decisions on multiple streets. So let's go through that. Number one, pre-flop. So I gave you the reasons why I thought in in game that three betting was a good idea. But the reality is the more I thought back on it, the more I think it's just not a great idea. All the stuff I said about him being really wide is true, but the stack size issue is a really big issue. When we're three betting a hand like ace deuce suited, we really want to get a lot of folds. We're counting on that he's raising with a wide range. And so when we re-raise pre-flop, we want him to fold a lot of that range. But I couldn't go that big because I didn't want to go more than a third of stacks. So I only went 3x out of position. The reality is with him on the button, him having position and getting better than two to one on a call, he's just going to continue almost all the time. Like he's not folding hardly ever. And so my three bet loses so much of its effectiveness. Do I want to put the screws to this guy and, and three bet him light? Yes, I do. But I just think in this spot, the the dynamics didn't line up. And I think in retrospect, I should be folding here. Like the other thing is that ace do suited is the worst of the wheel aces. So I don't necessarily have to three bet him with all my wheel aces. I can three bet him more with hands like King Queen suited, maybe some Ace Five suited, King Jack suited, you know, Ace Ten suited plus. You know, I can use a stronger, more linear range. I, I just think Ace Deuce suited in this situation with these stack sizes is is probably a bad idea. Um, and I should have just folded pre-flop and moved on. Obviously, we were ready. We were lucky enough to flop the nuts. Congratulations to us. But I really don't like how I p- played this hand post-flop. I mean, think about it. Like, the guy was hemming and hawing, and he's just like, man, you definitely flopped the nuts. And he almost folded the hand. He almost got away. In fact, we're super lucky that he called. Because it's such a fishy line to three-bet pre-flop and then check the flop. And then what am I saying? That, I'm, that, I, that I want him to think I'm bluffing the turn and then the river? Like, nobody does that. Nobody takes that line. It's definitely a line that that screams, I'm trying to trap. I'm trying to be tricky. It's just not a real bluffing line. And it was a two-street game, but I don't think this, the street to check was the flop. 
I think this is so much more effective if I make my small bet on the flop and then I can either jam the turn or check the turn and then jam the river and give him a chance on the turn, you know, bet 150 on the flop and he calls and then check the turn and let him, you know, jam all in thinking, okay, this guy took one shot and he doesn't have anything. I'm going to jam all in with my bluffs and my value. Now the pot's big enough to go after, you know, and it's just way less fishy of a line, honestly. And a lot of my range really does want to bet the flop. I want to bet the flop with all my ace king and ace queen and ace jacks that contain a heart. I want to bet the flop with all my overpairs. I want to bet it with my sets. I want to bet small with my medium pairs like pocket nines, etc. So I just think there's a lot of hands in my range that are incentivized to bet small on this flop. And when I check, yeah, the, the nut flush is the flush that you'd want to check because it doesn't need any protection. But I just think with the stack sizes and such, I think it's more tricky just to bet when you have the nuts than it is to check. You know, he smelled something fishy and we almost let him off the hook. And that's a really bad job. So, you know, we were we were certainly lucky. We we're certainly certainly fortunate that the poker gods bailed us out in his hand and, and saw it fit to flop us the nut flush. But yeah, I just I just don't think we played this hand well and and we were lucky to get stacks in. So we're happy about that. We're not going to complain, but I definitely think even when you win a hand, uh, you can learn a lot from analyzing your play and being critical. And I think I misplayed this hand and uh, yeah, got bailed out by the deck. So that's it, you guys. I appreciate you very much tuning into the podcast. Uh, for everybody that sent me DMs on Twitter, at Sammy Reed FI, who's reached out, who's left reviews and, and rated the podcast and all that stuff, man, it it means a lot. You know, I, I don't make any money off this podcast. I just do it because I love poker. And it kind of feels like we're we're building a base of people who listen to this podcast who kind of feel the same way. And and that's really cool. So I, I really do appreciate you guys. And until the next time, till next week, play good and run pure. <laughs>